this is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. And this time, we're talking about a movie called Howl's Moving Castle from Studio Ghibli. Now, in our last episode, which I will remember it being recorded yesterday in my timeline, but you guys will remember it being last week, um, because once again, on vacation, recorded these in advance, just hitting a button to put them out when they need to go out. But that's neither here nor there. Um, we In our last episode, I talked about Satoshi Kon, and I mentioned the other, the elephant in the room when you're talking about not just anime movies, but anime and animation in general, and that is Studio Ghibli. Now, I've talked about, and also, in addition in addition to Studio Ghibli, and even probably more than Studio Ghibli, Hayao Miyazaki, the director. Now, I've talked about Princess Mononoke, and Princess Mononoke is intensely important to me. I have a deep, deep connection to that movie. That was really... Princess Mononoke was probably my first experience with anime and with what... what... and informed what I kind of knew anime to be for a long time. Um, Now, I didn't let that like, hamper me or, like, stop me from watching any other good or bad, believe me, as I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, I have a thing where every once in a while I'm just like, I need to watch a real garbage show for just the entirety of it, um, because I, I have a Yukihara Silma-esque bad food concoction, like, tick in my brain for bad cartoons of just, like, Oh, let's go watch Queen's Blade. Um, but that's neither here nor there. I so I talked about Princess Monoki before, and I wanted to talk about another Studio Ghibli Hayao Miyazaki film. And I've got most of them in some form. Um but I have the Blu-ray DVD copy, or the box for the Blu-ray DVD, the box and the DVD for the Blu-ray DVD copy of Howl's Moving Castle, like, in my hand right now. And the reason I wanted to talk about this was because lots of people will kind of, they'll say that, you know, Princess Monoki is a masterpiece, and it is. And they'll say that Spirited Away is a masterpiece, and it is. And they'll talk about certain other Hayao Miyazaki movies in a different way. They'll talk. To, one of those one of those movies is Howl's Moving Castle. People also have a lot of feelings about his most recent film. Not the one coming out because he came out of retirement to make a new one, but the one that he released that he released. I think it was I want to say two years ago now. Um, the Wind Rises and also the um, movie Ponyo. And 
people take issue with things like Ponyo and Howl's Moving Castle because they are sometimes because they are adaptations. They are not ho- these wholly imagined things. In a way, The Wind Rises is an adaptation of somebody's real life. It's about it's supposed to be about the inventor of the plane who that was used by kamikaze pilots in World War Two. And that whole, and like I said in the last podcast, that whole movie is about like losing yourself in your work to the extent that your family, that you lose, that you separate yourself from your family and you become separated from your family kind of permanently. And that's an interesting thing. Um, but How's Moving Castle is interesting because it's, a comment, it comments on a lot of different things. Um, chiefly, it comments on vanity and the problems with vanity and why it's bad and why you shouldn't, why you shouldn't not only value your looks, but rely on them. Um, it also comments on, like, age and greed and um, desire and all that stuff. And also, lest we forget, war. Um, but, one of the reasons that I think it's really, a really interesting film is because it's kind of, it, it happened at the kind of, at the top of the kind of Miyazaki, Studio Ghibli roller coaster. So, up until this point, like this, this, the last Miyazaki movie I believe that came out before this was might have been Spirited Away. I think the borrow. I think Arietti came out after Howl's Moving Castle, but I could be wrong. But the D, so. Princess Mononoke was voice acted by tons of celebrity voices. They got Billy Bob Thornton to play the monk. They've got they got other people to play other people. Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, I believe, is in it. Um, but it was this big event, and it was. It was at first backed by John Lasseter from Pixar. I have the original DVD release, and it's got and in the front of it, it's got um, an interview with John Lasseter, and he sits down and he introduces you to the film, and he says, you know, you you're gonna see something really special. I I first saw this film when I was in Japan for like a business trip, I think he says, and like it blew me out of the water. Like be prepared. Be prepared to just have your mind melted by the beauty, as it were. So, from that point on, kind of, Miyazaki, at least in the West, was regarded as this, like, oh, if you ever get a call from Disney and says, do you want to voice act this, like, movie from the Japanese, this animated movie from the Japanese animation studio, they're called, like, 
Jibly or something. <laughs> you just say yes. Like, you just say yes. So, and also they, they started throwing money at these things because now it was Disney and Disney was... Put it, Disney put its name on all the Studio Ghibli movies that came out for a while. Uh, that's, that is the edition of the Blu-ray that I have, and it's like a beautifully mastered Blu-ray. Um, but they, since they were putting the name on it, they were able to pour budget into getting it dubbed in English. And so, like, while Billy Bob Thornton was a favorite for, like, things like uh, Princess Mononoke and Spirited Away, um, once you get to Howl's Moving Castle, you have names like Christian Bale, and this was when he was, like, Batman. <laughs> and, um, like, other, other big names were wrapped up in this. But the voice cast of this movie can best be described as and Billy Crystal <laughs> because they they have so they have a um they the, this was treated like one of those ensemble cast movies where they list everybody and they ha have an and and then that's a really special person who's like oh this this guy deserves that and because he deserves to be held apart. Um, so the people in this movie are Gene Simmons, Christian Bale, Lauren Bacall, uh, Bilsey Danner, Emily Mortimer, and Josh Hutchison. Josh Hutchison and Billy Crystal. Now, the thing about, that's important to note about having a movie treated like that is it means that the movie's a big enough deal for, for not only the studio to attach, a studio like Disney to attach its name to it, but then turn around and say, no, Christian Bale wants, Christian Bale, we want your name on this. You want your name on it. You can like achieve more fame this way, and that's and it's valuable that his name is on the dub of this movie. Um, as for the performances they give, it's a pretty it's a pretty good performance. Whoever the director for the dub was was did a pretty good job. I say the Christian Bale probably does the best job. At least in my opinion. Billy Crystal. Probably surprisingly in a way. Does the worst. He he is the most entertaining. Character in the movie. And like he, he gives. Calcifer this. Like life that is really great. And Calcifer is filled. With these like snide quips. And these like. Worried tones. And these just like sound drips, like, the sound drips personality, but at the same time, because they, what I suspect they did to, like, give Billy Crystal full Billy, room to Billy Crystal, for lack of a better phrasing, 
Um, if they just said, okay, here's the lines, here's the kind of gist of each scene, of this scene, go for it. Just, like, go for it, spice it up the way you think this, like, fire demon, like, dude would do. And, it, and it, 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 it makes for an entertaining, like, watch, and there's, like, great lines, like, he calls Sophie a crazy lady twice, each with two different, like, fire instruments, like, he's like, oh, oh, you crazy lady with tongs, and later on in the, um, movie, he goes, like, oh, you crazy lady with a shovel, um, but... The the problem is that it it feels especially when you're wa- when you're paying attention you're watching it and you're watching the mouth flaps I don't know I've think I've seen the Japanese dub of this movie once I I the, the subtitle version of this movie once I'm a big dub watcher obviously I've talked about subtitle shows on this on this podcast before but. I prefer to watch things that have dubs just because I don't like reading TV as much as, like, like re- it, it's important to me to not have to read something if I, if I have the option to, because I feel like just hearing the voices naturally immerses you more in the experience. It, it, lets, like, I now have smart lights in the place I watch anime so I can, like, dim the lights and have a theater experience um, when I want. So I, I want to be kind of engrossed in whatever world is presenting me as much as possible. And for me, reading, like, the act of having to read someone's lines takes me out of it. So that's the reason why I usually opt for dubs. I know a lot of people opt for them because... They can't read as fast, or they can't, or they, like, they want to do something else, watch anime. The reason I just gave is my reason. But, so, like, Billy Crystal, his lines don't always necessarily sync up to cal- what, like, Calcifer's mouth. And it, it can, it's a little distracting sometimes. But he, like I said, he is the, like, he is the heart both literally and figuratively, of this movie. And the movie is... Um, it's interesting. On the box, I'm looking on the box now, it says, from, award-win- from award-winning director Hayao Miyazaki, Howl's Moving Castle. But in the on the title card, it says, Howl's Moving Castle, um, adapted from a novel, and it gives the novelist's name, I forget her name already, but, uh, this is an adaptation of somebody else's story, story, this is Hayao Miyazaki adapt, he got the rights to adapt the novel Howl's Moving Castle into an animated movie, um, now that it often said about, like I said, it said about the wind rises and about Ponyo. Ponyo is supposed to be Hayao Miyazaki's take on the Little Mermaid, um, 
which is interesting, to say the least. Um, but lots of people, they think Howl's Moving Castle is a, is a great movie, but it's not his greatest. They, they don't put it up in the, like, Studio Ghibli ranks. They don't put it up in, like, the uh, Princess Mononoke or even higher Spirited Away category. They just don't, they don't lump it in with those two. But it's, I think that it's really good. I still think it's a really good movie. I mean, obviously, I own it. I bought it. It's one of the, I bought it two times over at this point. I was given it as a gift at one point. And then I bought it on Blu-ray and I bought it a Blu-ray DVD combo pack um, after that. But we still haven't gotten to the story yet, have we? So basically the story is that Sophie is her... I think it's alluded to that her father had died. I haven't read the original source material for this, but basically her father is out of the picture. Typical anime dad. But um, she... Works with her mother and her, I believe, three sisters in her dad's hat shop. Um, and she is just kind of like, she has a thing to do and like she, she has something to do with her life. So she doesn't want for more than that and she's okay with her life the way it is. She seems kind of, she, it's pointed out that she is very old-fashioned, very kind of simple. It's not that, she's not dumb, that's not what I mean. She's, she doesn't get gutsied up, she she wears old brown boots, she wears a kind of plain Jane, like, imagine the color, the like, weird like, blue that hospital hospital scrubs are, that's the color of her dress, it doesn't have a whole lot of, like, fluff to it, it's just like, this is what I wear all the time, blah, 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 and she wears a kind of, she wears a nice but simple straw hat when she goes out, and she works in her father's old hat shop, and... Everybody keeps, in her life, keeps wanting her to do something she wants to do for her because they don't think she's doing what she wants to do. She's just like, I'm fine. But she's not like, I'm fine, like, this is what I want to do. She's like, I'm fine. This is just what I do. This is my life, whatever. Which is okay. But she, so she's going to the bakery to meet her sister, I think, her who works at the bakery, and she is stopped by two soldiers. Now, the thing I haven't brought up to this point is, when she's walking to the bakery, once she leaves the hat shop, you're kind of taken through the town she lives in, and the town is very clearly a town that is readying for war. It's like, war. Pro- you see warplanes fly overhead... Uh, holding flags, you see, like, 
soldiers, packs, and guns sitting, like, on the side of the road. You see soldiers marching. You see, like, soldiers just kind of wandering around and, like, getting talking to people and hitting on girls and blah, blah, blah. But she's going down the alley to, like, try and take a... And she's reading something. She's not paying attention to where she's going. And she almost bumps into a soldier. And the soldiers very aggressively hit on her. And this is where Hal shows up. And Hal saves her from the soldiers. And he says, I'm being followed. We have to get out of here. They get out of there. And he flies her over to the bakery, basically. But the entire time... This, she is meeting him for the first time, but the film frames it like he's known her for he'd known her before, and he's very friendly with her, very protective. Well, and it's it, it it's an odd tone, but it, it it is it depends on the viewer falling. For the magic, of, for like the magical tone of the movie. And you're just like, oh, this is so much fun. I'm not paying attention to this, like, very odd tone, this strike, this duck. And it's important. Um, so, after talking to her sister, she goes back. And her sister warns, like, don't let Hal eat your heart, blah, 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 blah. There's all these rumors about witches and they're supposed to be about witches and wizards and they're supposed to live in like the wasteland which is basically the wilderness um and they're supposed to like eat people's hearts and steal things from people and all kinds of junk and she so after she's done she goes home and when she gets back to her hat shop and she locks the door turns around and all of a sudden there is a very um Let's refer to her as... Well, there's no way, real way, flattering way to say it. And you shouldn't be flattering. She's overweight. She's obese. She is this, like, this clump of a woman. And she is the witch of the waste. And she puts a curse on Sophie, turning her into an old lady. And after Sophie kind of evades her family... And gets out, gets out of town. She goes looking for a way to remove the curse. Eventually, she runs into Hal, and she she runs into Hal's castle, and the, the, it is the titular thing of the movie, and it is it is one of the better. pieces of like Miyazaki of like Studio Ghibli Miyazaki art I think is that it is this like it is this giant it is essentially a giant robot cattle that walks endlessly um not endlessly but it, it walks when it when it needs to or want when it needs to or wants to um and it is this big, awesome kind of pile of junk. And so she gets in the castle and she encounters a fire demon. And the fire demon is the one voiced by Billy Crystal. And Billy Crystal is very snarky and he's very great. 
um, all the things I talked about before, which is voice acting. And she makes a deal with him, says, uh, if you can fi- figure out how to, way to a way to break the curse on me, I'll figure out a way to break the curse on you. And that gives her, basically gives her a place to stay. And then you're introduced to Jorge. And introduced to the idea of what wizards are in the story. They are basically, they are merchants who sell potions that fix problems. Um, but they're also soldiers, willingly or unwillingly, in whatever war or conflict happens. And Hal is, like, has a magic door. The magic door basically has, like, a round-robin dial, and we turn the lock, and the dial changes, and it goes to a different place. And they, they do a kind of, they take a little while to, like, show you kind of what life is like. And in, like, the house, in, like, the, in the castle and all this stuff. And they treat it slowly like a family. And they, and, but the entire time, from the first probably third of a mo- of the movie, Hal is this, like, beautiful... Blonde, fashionable guy, and he is this like kind of aloof, perfect. He 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 is this aloof, self self important, extremely vain person who has immense magical power and can kind of do whatever he wants. But after the, but eventually, while cleaning, Sophie destroys the bathroom. And as someone who subscribes to Birchbox and has nine million little things of like all this different stuff, it just makes me like it, it makes me the best version of me when I get out of the shower in the morning. I can sympathize with. Oh, do you mean your maid went into the bathroom and tossed out? All of your little magic potions that make you look just so. And he freaks out. And this is where the movie kind of comes to terms with... He has to come to terms with his own vanity. And the fact that he can't control the way he looks. He just looks the way he does. Um, and eventually he recovers from it. And everything's okay. But... He just, it's a really amazing demonstration of exactly how attached some people get to their appearance and how how important that is to them and how much they worry about it and how much, like, when you're going out the door, you worry, like, oh, my hair needs to be just perfect, or my beard needs to be just perfect, or, you know, I need to be wearing these shoes, or whatever. And in... In some cases, like, you know, yes, you should cut your hair and, like, keep yourself decently tidy, but you shouldn't obsess over it, because... 
it's not that beauty is only skin deep, but it's that beauty at the expense of at the expense of everything else actually does a disservice to people getting to know a real person. And in this kind of breakdown that he has, he basically says, you know, I use I basically use all of my magic to keep people away from me. <laughs> to like maintain this mysterious facade and just so I can hang out with Jorge and Calcifer in peace. Um but he he eventually gets over that. And him and Sophie kind of grow closer. And eventually he has to report to Madame Sullivan to Madame Sullivan, his teacher and like the head sorceress of one of the two kingdoms that's at war. And he has to report to both kingdoms, but Madame Sullivan is the one that he needs to answer first. Um, but he doesn't want to go. So he just doesn't want to go because he's, uh, because even though he's had a kind of mild awakening, and I think this, uh, the thing I think is one of the best things about the movie is that the characters change in ways humans change. They don't change completely. They are never completely different people than they were at the beginning of the movie. They are variations. They are, be- they are the best versions of themselves by the end of the movie. The Witch of the Waste doesn't change almost at all throughout the entire movie. Um, Calcifer doesn't change. Um uh, uh, Mar- Mark, um, Jorge does change a bit. I think that's just because he's a kid. And the the changes are along the lines of, oh, a new person, co- a new person comes to live with the family and the kid doesn't trust them at first, but over time they trust them. That's the way Jorge kind of changes. Basically, he learns to love his new mom and that, analogy is really strong in the next in by the end of the movie um so Sophie agrees to go out and get and like get how off the hook and pretend to be her mother and at this point uh, so she goes to so Sophie shows up at the at the palace so does the Witch of the Waste. The Witch of the Waste is was summoned as well. They both finally get up the stairs. It's a long, laboring scene of them getting up the stairs. Um, which I think is supposed to be funny. Um, it's not the funniest. It seems just cruel. Um, but... After they have a run-in with Madame Sullivan, Madame Sullivan is like, oh no, tries to kill Hal, tries to kill the Witch of the Waste. They all escape back to Hal's house. And so now the makeup of the family is this, you have a kind of a father figure in Hal, 
kind of a mother figure and a Sophie. And then you have kind of a gr- old lady grandma kind of. And what's interesting about um, the Witch of the Waste is it feels like an out the way they strip her of her powers, quote unquote, or not quote unquote, they actually do. It feels like they're commenting on what it's like to go to lose your mind as you get older, to essentially come down with dementia or however you would put it, because she gets obsessed about little things and she always looks at Calcium and she goes, Oh, what a pretty fire. Now, before this, she was this big, not beautiful, the the word isn't beautiful, but kind of glamour-obsessed, overweight, over, like, over-made-up, covered in black and fur and a giant tilted black freaking hat. Black fur, tilted freaking hat. And she wore, like, rouge lipstick and lime green eyeshadow, and she was like, she thought she was trying to be gorgeous. And now she's just like this old woman, her hair has fallen out, it has fallen out, it's much shorter, and she's got a big old mole and like a big saggy red nose, and it's, but she still wants Hal's heart which is what she wanted in the beginning of the movie and the reason why she put the curse on Sophie. And the curse kind of just... It doesn't start to break at that point. It starts to weak. It weakens and Sophie starts shifting from her original self to her older self, kind of fluidly depending on emotion, and that shows that she's really she's feeling emo- like real emotions again, and really for the first time in since the story started, and it's kind of like it. It's a great visual display of like you know. Being in love makes you feel young. Jealousy makes you feel old. Anger makes you feel old. Like, good feelings young, bad feelings old kind of thing. And she shifts kind of without noticing herself effortlessly between the two. And this is kind of an in-between state that you keep seeing that's the young version of her with long silver hair. Um, and they, so they go through the kind of events of the movie. Madame Sullivan hunts them down eventually, and it's like they deal with Hal's curse, and how Hal and Sophie end up together as kind of a fit, and 
the Witch of the Waste ends up with them as kind of like the old lady of the house. As Marco is the kind of kid hanging out. And it's the equivalent of their of their kid. And they fly off happily into the sunset. Um, but it's a pretty good, it's a, it's a, it's an excellent movie by most standards. It's, my favorite Studio Ghibli movie will always be, will always be Princess Mononoke. It just, the way my brain is wired. Um, but this movie is really kind of interesting because it it tackles what it's like to what it would be like to choose your family and what it would be like to really get the opportunity to choose your family because Sophie and I have friends like this, some of whom might be listening to this podcast right now. Sophie is someone whose family doesn't, yes, loves her and yes, wants her to be happy, but doesn't understand, doesn't understand her. And, like, they constantly want her to change to their forms of being happy so they can... Because they're worried about her, and that's that's a, an oddly natural response to worry. It's just like, oh, why don't you come out with us? You'll be happier. Oh, why don't you do this? You'll be happier. Why don't you figure out what you want to do? You'll be happier. And that chorus is constant in the first couple minutes of the movie when she is a normal young girl working at a hat shop, blah, blah, blah. But throughout the course of the movie, as a character, she figures out what she wants to do. She gains determination. She experiences life, and she does it on her own terms. And she finds love, and she helps save the person she loves. And she makes a life for herself and she kind of gathers family members for herself who like uh, along the way of this journey and it's just it's it's telling you it's I think it's te- that the movie is telling you telling you the viewer to kind of follow what you want to do don't follow what other people suggest you should do to be happy because that's how those people were happy. And yes, you should listen to suggestions. You should take, you should keep those in mind. But trust yourself. Trust that you are doing the right thing, and you probably will. I, I, as. I I mentioned before that I am a graphic that I am a graphic designer, and when I first started, I've been doing I've been doing it since I've been doing it for about close to ten years. And when I started working in design, I 
didn't trust myself and I relied on a lot of like tips and tricks and stuff I read in, stuff I read in magazines stuff I saw in museums and all this other stuff and like I've relied heavily on the on the history of design and there's nothing wrong with that it's, it's if it is perfectly valid to solve something the way someone had solved it in the 60s because the solution is there, take it. But after a while of working, I started to realize that if I took that if I took what I perceived as risks I often was rewarded for it. It was not it was not abnormal that when I did something, something someone would say, "Oh, that's really great. Let's go with that." And my worries about run about running into a wall of someone being like, "Oh, this is too crazy. This is too this is too loud. This is too bold. This isn't our brand." were almost always just brushed aside as being nonsense because, no, like, we love this. We want to use this. We we want to use this email template. We want to use this logo. We want to use this, ty- this type treatment, blah, 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 blah. Um, now, there are, there were, there was one or two examples where it was like, this is absolutely beautiful, but we don't know how we're going to use this thing. But put it aside, keep it, we might be able to figure out how to use it later, but not this time. And that's fine too, and there, there is always going to be some of that in life. People are always going to be truly impressed by something that they don't know what to do with. It's the equivalent of someone saying, okay, make me make me a sandwich, and you say, what do you want? And they say, I don't know, and you make them like a 30-foot-long submarine with the works, and they're one person. They appreciate the sandwich, the giant sandwich, but they still need something that works for them. And because you've made this huge thing, they totally trust you can make, like, something for one person. Um, but the kind of idea of this movie, the main main conceit at least, from what, seeing it a couple, finishing a couple minutes ago, or almost however long this podcast is ago, um is trust yourself and like trust that you can find a way forward if you truly push forward and you try and believe in yourself because if you put your all into something you will make it work and now does that happen all the time no of course not life gets in the way of everything if 2016 didn't teach us that by now, 2017 definitely did. But if you don't try, 
if you don't continue to try, you'll never know where the line is. You'll never know that, you know, people will say yes to your crazy ideas because they're not that crazy. People will listen to you. People will trust you. People will love you. All you have to do is put yourself out there. And if you put yourself out there and you put your all into something, then there will be some kind of reward. Um, But if you haven't seen Howl's Moving Castle, I think it's streaming on Netflix. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know who currently had the license to all the Studio Ghibli movies because I have old uh, Disney DVDs and digital copies and Blu-ray sets, but I also know that um, G-Kids has put out a fair amount, had put out a new box set, so they might have the permanent license for these movies, but if you're looking for a way to watch Howl's Moving Castle and you have the money, I would say go on Amazon, buy the G-Kids box set, because all of Doodoo Ghibli's movies are absolute masterpieces of animation, if not storytelling, and both. If not, if not storytelling, and or both. Um, but I think that it's streaming on Netflix, if I didn't say that already, but I think it is, or How Moving Castle is. If you have a Netflix subscription, um, but it's it is if you have if you're a fan of Studio Ghibli movies and you've seen a couple of them, and just every time you look up Owl's Moving Castle, you see that kind of three and a half stars. And you're like, eh, I don't know if I should really watch this or whatever. It is absolutely as enchanting as. It has moments that are absolutely as enchanting as the moments it that are in Spirited Away. It's got great music. It's like its visual style is like painterly in a way that is not in other Studio Ghibli movies. Um, but no, definitely go check it out. Uh, so. If you like this podcast, uh, please be sure to subscribe to it, share it with your friends, and if you really like this podcast, you want to let me know how I'm doing, um, like at least one other person has on iTunes, you can go to iTunes and leave me a review, put in, he put in four stars, I changed some things in an effort to hopefully get him to five stars. But put in a review. Let me know how I'm doing. Let me know if you want me to talk about any shows or movies that I haven't talked about already. You can check out previous episodes. I have an episode on Prince Mononoke. My last episode was on Satoshi Kon. Was on a Satoshi Kon movie, Paprika. Um, I also did, in terms of Satoshi Kon, I also talked about Paranoia Agent a while back. Um, but I've talked about all kinds of shows. 
um, and movies. But uh, yeah, so if you like if you like this podcast, definitely subscribe to it. Share it with your friends. Take their phones. Subscribe them to it. I don't know. Make it happen. Um, but until next week, I've been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio, and I will talk at you later. <laughs>